Welcome into the Paul Kuharski podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski from paulkuharski.com, talking Tennessee Titans as part of 440 Sports. I've got the mandatory three mentions of my name out of the way. Here's what we're going to talk about. Rand Carthon's model for the shape of his front office has come become clearer. Two of the three open jobs on Mike Rabel's staff go to in-house candidates. The importance of the spring for this team, springs are generally underrated for NFL teams in terms of what happens before the teams show up for OTAs. A key slip of the tongue by Mike Vrabel, analysts, officiating, and more all coming to you. Here we go. Albert Breer, uh, excellent Monday morning quarterback guy at Sports Illustrated, told us on Wednesday, I'm recording on Wednesday night, that Carthon is hiring Chad Brinker from Green Bay, the first hire of note by the new Titans general manager, and he's going to come in as one of two assistant general managers. He's going to be the operations slash strategy analytics guy for Carthon. It's funny because I kind of asked Carthon about, uh, you know, with this Vrabel Carthon split of power, both reporting to Amy Adams Strunk, who's kind of in charge of the operation. Um, this doesn't make Brinker in charge of the operation, but it does give somebody an operations title, uh, which it seems is is a necessary thing. And so operations matters will will funnel obviously through this assistant GM um, who can take uh, operational matters to Carthon and and uh, to Vrabel if need be um, to deal with the issues that are inevitably coming up. Um, on the on the football side, but um, per Breer, the, the other side of this is is another GM who is kind of the personnel head um, underneath Carthon, obviously, who is the ultimate head of of personnel. And Breer called this the Cleveland model. So you've got um, a head of operations slash strategy and analytics, and then a head of personnel. Some of it's semantics and titles and the like. But this is a model that Cleveland uses. They've currently got Catherine Raish, the assistant GM slash vice president of ops, and Glenn Cook, the assistant GM slash vice president of player personnel. Cook was a candidate for the Titans GM job before Carthon was hired. Now, this is odd to me uh, because Carthon comes from two franchises that had more conventional structures and way more success than the Browns. The, the, Ra- uh, the, the Rams, who is with first for six years, when he left, they had, um, you know, the, the somewhat conventional three-pronged um, thing. He was director of pro pro uh, personnel. Brad Holmes was director of college scouting and Taylor Morton was director of player personnel. Um, and then the 49ers, you know, have one assistant general manager in Adam Peters, who the Titans wanted to talk to, but who elected not to talk to them. Um, 
I don't know what the structure of the people underneath um, these two assistant general managers will be. But if you're looking for a front office model and you've worked for the 49ers, who are one of the more successful franchises in the league recently, despite the fact that they've not won a Super Bowl, and you worked for the Rams right during their run-up when they were ramping up towards going to win a Super Bowl. I don't know why you would be tempted to model your front office after the Browns, who've not had very good success and have had a lot of chaos and have made one recent playoff appearance and still have a feeling of uh, disjointed, um, unsatisfactory front office structure that doesn't um, function well, that hasn't figured out how to make its uh, analytics-driven stuff jive with its coaching. Why would you choose their model over two models that you worked in that have produced success? Now, one thing I had heard is that Carthon preferred the more laid back style of the Rams to the more corporate buttoned up model of the 49ers. And I like the sound of that. But I do think there's cause for some pause here, if you will, about this structure, which uh, may prove, obviously could work, but may prove too wide, if you will, at the top. Um, We'll see, obviously, and curious who the the second assistant GM will be. I do not think it will be Ryan Cowden, who I think will either leave of his own volition or, you know, isn't going to get this personnel uh, job from Carthon, who beat him out and is going to want to install his own person. Um, So, uh Something to consider and contemplate with uh, how Rand Carthon is uh, getting started with this job and the structure of his front office um, in Tennessee. Staff-wise for Mike Vrabel, who uh, hasn't quite completed his staff. He said it's 95% done. He doesn't have a running backs coach. He said there are maybe a couple other jobs that he's interviewed for and could still be filling. Um, I don't know that those would be high-ranking jobs, but you never know. Jim Schwartz was uh, signed late. He wasn't a high-ranking guy, but he was a high-stature guy when he came aboard a couple of years ago. Um, But the three jobs that Vrabel had to fill, based on who he fired, offensive coordinator, offensive line, and cornerbacks, and of those three jobs, he went in-house for two of them. Tim Kelly for offensive coordinator, Jason Hoteling um, for offensive line. Shouldn't be surprised by Tim Kelly um, because he was put on the runway for this job when, uh, as soon as Vrabel could get him there, Vrabel liked him, coveted him. When he gave Todd Downing the job two years ago, he couldn't get him in-house. Then when he was working for the Houston Texans, he got him in-house um last year and he clearly was the heir apparent 
the heir apparent being for the hope would be that Todd Downing had a future like Matt LaFleur did when he got the head coaching job in Green Bay, like Arthur Smith did when he got the head coaching job in Atlanta. This one went the other direction and Todd Downing needed to be fired because things went so poorly. Um, but he's the offensive coordinator in waiting the long delay which probably related more to these other positions, particularly Charles London, who we'll get to in a minute, um, led some of us to think, well, maybe his guy is Eric Bieniemy or Matt Nagy, who are uh, coaching in the Super Bowl, and it would be next week before we heard something. We were wrong there. Um, but, you know, Rabel spoke well about these guys when he talked to the media on, on Tuesday, and he spoke well about the, the whole thing. I tend to think it's a little insular. He's gone outside plenty, mostly for lower ranking guys, but Downing was an outside guy and that didn't pan out. He said, if I didn't think that we had the right people here, we would try to go out and get somebody else. I think we hire really good people. Um, and he's looking for coaches who teach, develop, and inspire by making connections with the players. Uh, the insular promotion thing, Downing getting coordinator, Kelly now getting coordinator. Um, you know, it, it's Vrabel's method to bring in somebody and have them waiting. I don't know that it was his plan initially with Arthur Smith, but it panned out that way. And so each coordinator since his initial coordinator, Matt LaFleur, offensive coordinator, has been promoted from within. And it's, you know, it went awfully well with Arthur Smith. It didn't go well with Todd Downing. And now we'll see about Tim Kelly. But they were both put on the red runway ahead of time, Downing and Kelly. Ryan Crow, the outside linebackers coach, he worked his way up from uh, you know uh, on a, on a lower-ranking assistant, and I think he's done good work. Luke Steckel, he worked his way up to tight ends coach from a low-ranking assistant. He may have just gotten demoted. We'll get to him. Jason Hoteling, uh, Hoteling uh, worked his way up, the new offensive line coach. And he, I would have thought, was the, the, the third guy with the offensive line behind Keith Carter, who was fired, and Mike Sullivan, a, a veteran assistant coach. Um, so not a huge dose of fresh blood there. Charles London is new as the passing game coordinator and the, and the quarterback coach. Chris Harris the defensive passing game coordinator and cornerback coach is new. Um, and the woman whose name I did not write down on this sheet, who is uh, low ranking uh, is going to help out Ro uh, Ryan Crow uh, with the outside linebackers. She's new. The gentleman who was the defensive coordinator at Virginia tech and is coming in as a low ranking um, um Quality control coach is is uh, also uh, new. So are there going to be changes? Look, we're talking primarily offense here, right? Vrabel said how we're calling things, how we're teaching things, how we're putting things in certain buckets. Those are all things that will probably change. But that's not really what we're most concerned about, right? What we're most concerned about is the style of the offense and, and the play calling. He said – He's confident they're going to be new ideas, new concepts. 
They've invested time in one system. He's confident that in the spring, they'll see where they want to invest in other schemes and ideas. They'll stay with what they do well, enhance that, and then bring new ideas in, particularly from Tim Kelly and from Charles London and from whoever else has those new ideas. That's where the spring is a big idea. So in the spring, before the players show up, so before what? Early to mid-April, you know, as these coaches participate in the analysis of potential draft picks um, and, and free agents, free agents first, draft picks second, they sit down and they they put together the, the playbook and they put together what's going to be a, a semi-redesigned offense. Um, and there's going to be some new terminology. There are going to be some new elements to this offense. That's where the spring is is big here. Um, and I would expect it's going to change more this time than it's going to change than it changed last time from Smith to Downing. Now, you know, Vrabel talked about uh, the expectations of getting the kind of personnel that will allow them to not telegraph what's coming with uh, the personnel group that's on the field, being able to get into the same formation out of multiple personnel groupings, being able to be creative with the personnel that they have, all while not asking people to do things that they can't do. So these are exciting things, but this is not going to be an overhauled offense, right? Um, you know, and uh, it's a lot to ask for it to be an overhauled offense. And his mindset is is still the same he he didn't emphasize the running game i think it goes without saying he emphasized the efficient passing he emphasized physicality which goes hand in hand with running um and i think we know his core beliefs are uh you know sound defense smart offense that is not super risky um and so i, I think the core of the offense is going to be the same but how do they surround that core offense? Um, and how do they make it look? How do they are they more explosive out of it as they've been in the past with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, who I still believe 80 to 85 percent is going to be the starting quarterback for uh, for Tim Kelly for Charles London. Um, if you're not a member of PaulKuharski.com. You can see here down at the bottom, $5.99 a month for, uh, I think, the most unique um, and certainly the, uh, the the best institutional knowledge of this team that you're going to find. Um, you can get 12 months for the price of 11. Uh, this podcast is the front door to invite people in. But uh, right after the Tim Kelly news came down, right after Mike Vrabel spoke and I wrote and got a piece out, we had a meeting, uh, a gathering with just membership and I having a conversation like this, me and you and your questions, an hour of just uh, everything that was on your mind that we discussed it and got uh, as thorough as we could. Everything that I write Mike Herndon's once a week column, which I'll refer you to a little bit later on. Blake Bettingfield pre-draft and in-season scouting previews, scouting reviews of every game. Um, I urge you to check it out. Cup, price of a cup of coffee or a fancy cocktail. 
maybe not even a fancy cocktail, cheaper than a cup of coffee and cheaper than a fancy cocktail, paulkuharski.com. Please come check it out. One of my, uh, I've got a high tier called the All 22. Not a lot of changeover, a bunch of smart guys. One of them said that I was hoping for more of a change on the offensive side of the ball, but Vrabel has his formula. The staff has to fit his formula. They need talent that makes explosive plays from the scheme because we won't get an explosive scheme. I think there's a lot to be said for that statement. I think it's fair. And that makes this whole project, even with Kelly, even with London coming in, as much about Rand Carthon as it is about Vrabel and Kelly and London. There's some stuff to work with, right? Right out of the gate. Henry, still good. Not what he once was, I don't think, but give him an offensive line. It's a lot better than the one that he had last year, and there's going to be a ton of turnover there. His breakaways, as we talked about in in my group, are probably more the 25-yard variety than the 75-yard variety, more frequently anyway. Um, Traylon Burks, if he can be healthy and be on the field and show a second-year spurt, is 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 a potentially dangerous guy. How consistent, we don't know. Chigakonkwo, that kind of guy, and I would think Tim Kelly's going to be charged with getting him featured and, and a regular part of the offense. I think the next guy on the list is probably Dontrell Hilliard, and he's a fine player, but if your third down back, who plays limited snaps, is your fourth most explosive player. I think it shows the work you've got to do. It shows the limitations of your offense. And the Titans have to do more to surround um, surround their quarterback and their running back with uh, guys who can make plays for him. And we've talked plenty about the lack of dynamic wide receiver play. Um, you know, this is presuming that Burks pans out. But after that, you need far more dynamic. After Chig, you need far more dynamic. Um, And it goes on and on. There was an interesting slip of the tongue that passed everybody by from Vrabel during his Zoom call with us. Uh, He was talking about new ideas, uh, which obviously is the theme of what I'm talking about here. Uh, Here's the quote. In my interactions and in my meetings with Tim Kelly, Very comfortable that there will be, you know, continue to do the things that we do well, the things that we feel like we do well, that we want to continue and enhance. And then, you know, bring in new ideas that he has that that Arthur or excuse me, that Charles has or even the other guys on our staff. Now, it's not a surprise that Vrabel would see Charles London who's coming from coaching quarterbacks for Arthur Smith as an extension of Arthur Smith. But uh, it's a pretty interesting slip of the tongue. He's hoping Charles London is, uh, is Arthur Smith. And Charles London clearly is going to be his own guy. And Mike Vrabel's not expecting Arthur Smith to uh, walk to the door. Arthur Smith, by the way, first worked with Charles London on Mike Munchak's staff. Um, with the Titans back in 2011, 12, 13. I think London was on that staff the whole time. And then Vrabel worked with London uh, himself in, in Houston. 
but I thought that was interesting. London was the offensive coordinator of one of the senior bowl teams. And Vrabel said he liked how London carried himself, the demeanor and the presence that he had with the players during that week of coaching uh, those guys. And um, the practice week carries a lot more importance for everybody around the league than the actual game does. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if Vrabel was there for the game, probably watched it on tape uh, and wouldn't have seen London during the game as much as he would have seen him during practice week 2023 flex scheduling for monday night football is upon us i think logistically it's going to be very hard and the idea of um late notice for short weeks it's the short week after the monday night football that's the big deal not the long week before monday night football is going to be an issue that coaches are not going to be happy uh, to, to deal with, particularly if you're on the road for that Monday night game or if you're on the road for the game after it or, God forbid, if you're on the road for both. That's going to be a huge issue that we're going to hear a lot about. But Roger Goodell, in talking about it, said he won't be surprised at some point if it also happens for Thursday games. That makes one of us. Uh, the logistics, first off, for uh, – well, let's go fans first. I mean, it, I don't know how far out you'd have to flex a Thursday night game. I would presume it would be two or three weeks. But if you bought a ticket for a game that's scheduled on a Sunday and it gets flexed to a Thursday – that's a major schedule change for you. And I'm presuming you're at home. I live in Nashville. If you bought a ticket to a Titans game on Sunday and all of a sudden it's on Thursday and you were taking your kids and it's a school night and your, your daughter's the cheerleader who, who's, you know, got a game to cheer on, on uh, Friday night and maybe a practice on Thursday night. I mean, this screws up your, your whole deal. It's a major inconvenience. It's better for those of us who are watching it on TV, but I think there are two sides to this. And then talk about the short rest thing. I mean, you get notified a week or two in advance that, hey, that, that regular seven-day week that you were expecting – is now a Sunday to Thursday turn. And by the way, you're on the road. Um, coach is going to have a really, really hard time with that. And I, I just don't see how the competition committee is going to react to that and how uh, the Players Association is going to react to that. I don't doubt it'll happen when it's a financial issue. And when it serves the fans who are sitting home watching TV, but it doesn't serve the fans who are going to be at the stadium, doesn't serve the players, it doesn't serve fair play of, uh, of changing up a team's schedule on relatively short notice. Um, and, and I think it's, uh, it's stretching it too far. Monday night's somewhat feasible. Thursday night's, I think, really asking for trouble. I'm going to talk about Springsteen for the third week in a row. So I went to Atlanta. Here he is over my shoulder. Um, I went to Atlanta for the second show of the tour. I did not look 
at what happened at the first show of the tour in uh, Tampa Bay. So while I'd seen some rehearsal information, I didn't see anything about the show. I went solo. I had a crap ticket way up behind the stage. I plotted out open seats that unsold singles three hours before the show. I manipulated my way into a very good one. Um, it turned out it belonged to a friend of the two guys that were there. Let me sit there until their buddy showed up who had to work late. Then there were open seats even better than that that I moved into. Unbelievable experience. But here's, here's what I wanted to get at. I mean, you guys, if you're familiar with me at all, I'm a, I'm a super critic, right? I've got a problem with, with everything. And this is why, even if you don't get Springsteen, I wonder if you get my affinity for Springsteen as I describe it here. I have no beef about Springsteen. I don't, if you've never seen this show, I mean, it, he's 73 now, right? I'm 54. So an old guy who's a fan of an old guy. You're not going to find anybody that puts on a more high energy show, even at 73. Played two hours and 40 minutes. It'll get longer as he goes on. Just as high energy as he's always been, along with the band, right? I generally don't squabble with the with the set lists. I certainly didn't squabble with this one. At a regular show, there may be two or three songs, two songs maybe that I wish he didn't play. But I'm I enjoy it so much, like most Springsteen fans, that it's like. Seriously, I mean, the things that I love in, in my life as, as fans of the New York Yankees, U.S. soccer, Richard Russo novels, um, I come away from a Springsteen concert and I, even as I read critiques or start to hear about people bitching about the set list or why didn't this happen or whatever, I'm impervious to it. To me, it's three hours of pure joy and satisfaction and I can't punch any holes into it. The Yankees, there's always something I don't like. Somebody's slumping, somebody's out of position, Boone's making a big decision. Maybe they go on a great winning streak and there's 10 days where I'm happy or this last season, three months where I was happy. They haven't won since 2009, right? You know, Richard Russo novel might make me completely happy. But what in my life that I'm a fan of makes me like completely happy and I can't punch any holes into it. Like, I don't like the way he priced these concerts, but I got a ticket at a reasonable price and I moved into a phenomenal seat and it was great and I love it. And I can't find anything to bitch about. And I find something to bitch about with everything. So this is my thing. In my thing. I can't find anything wrong with it. And I don't want to find anything wrong with it. I want to set it aside and have it be this one thing. And I wish I could find more stuff like this, but I haven't at 54. I haven't found other stuff, but I've got this. I had it on February 3rd in Atlanta. I'm going to have it coming up in Tulsa. Then I'm going to take my wife and kid to it in Greensboro. And it's like this one Great, complaint-free, utter, happy, rocking three or three-plus hours of no complaints. No complaints. 
read the reviews and if I see something negative in it, I know they're wrong. They're wrong for me, right? Wrong, just wrong for me. I don't know. I just, I drove home from Atlanta a day later just marveling at that feeling. I wish I could find more of it. I hope you have it somewhere. So that's my Springsteen spiel for the day. Albert Breer, who I mentioned at the top, um, he put out the fifth year option uh, pricing chart. You know, if you make a couple of Pro Bowls, it costs this much. You know, I think there are four levels. And I thought to myself, ah, fifth year option. And it took me a second. I looked up the Titans draft. I said, oh, that's why the Titans don't have a fifth year option to consider this year because it would have been Isaiah Wilson would have been Isaiah Wilson. If Isaiah Wilson turned into a normal offensive tackle, who was a starter for the Titans, they'd be deciding by, I think the beginning of May, if they wanted to guarantee him for 2024, his fifth year, $14.124 million. Wouldn't it be great if, Three years ago, they had drafted in the 20s, starting right tackle, who in 2025, they could pay $14.124 million, just be done with it. Next year, start to worry about a long-term extension. So they still have these trickle-down offensive line concerns because of the Isaiah Wilson thing, the single worst move John Robinson made out of several bad moves that John Robinson made that ended up with his uh, firing. But at least they don't have that cap hit pending, right? Now, they've got a lot of reasons that they've got a lot of people to replace on the offensive line, Isaiah Wilson being one of them. And if you want to look very thoroughly at the free agent options that are going to be out there for the Titans to consider, not just to fill – Isaiah Wilson's hole, which is kind of filled by Nicholas Petit Frere, but he could get shuffled inside or whatever. Mike Herndon has written an extensive piece at paulkuharski.com running through all the free agent options the Titans could look at. And he's even come up with kind of a too deep offensive line that he would piece together out of the draft and free agency. That's a significant upgrade over what the Titans had this year. Not going to be the best line in the league in 2023, but uh, easily by itself worth $5.99 this month. Go check it out. Let's get back to Tim Kelly for a minute. Talk about his resume a little bit. Davis Mills, two years ago, gave the Texans reason to think they'd found a quarterback. I mean, they didn't draft a quarterback even as a bad team because they thought, Davis Mills might be our guy. Davis Mills regressed in a big way. So Davis Mills with David Culley as the head coach and with Tim Kelly as the coordinator, it's pretty good. Like good enough that you might have thought you found yourself an answer with a non-first-round quarterback. And Davis Mills very quickly last year showed that he is not a long-term answer for the Houston Texans. And uh, they're drafting second, probably trying to get to first to get Bryce Young. Um, 
but that's that's a cap a feather in in Tim Kelly's cap also had a lot to do with Deshaun Watson's development I think we all think that Deshaun Watson would have been quite good early in his career um, as an NFL quarterback in a lot of situations but he was quite good in Houston in part with uh, with and thanks to uh, Tim Kelly's tutelage so he's got that going for him. We'll see if Deshaun Watson can return to anything close to that uh, in his first full season in Cleveland uh, with that crazy guaranteed contract coming up. Uh, Rabel said he felt like Kelly has a great feel for the game. He talked about his energy and his leadership. I can't help but feel like when he's talking about his great feel for the game, He's acknowledging that Todd Downing did not have a great feel for the game. One thing, though, that's driving me crazy about the Tim Kelly thing and is this idea that um, if he wasn't here last year, people would be really excited about him. If he was hired from the outside now, people would be really excited about him. But he's not being hired from the outside now. And he was here last year. I talked about this kind of thing about Devin Hester's Hall of Fame case in recent weeks, and you'll find out the Hall of Fame class on Saturday night. But Devin Hester, one of the arguments for him is had they kicked to him more during his career, he would have scored 20 more touchdowns. But they didn't kick to him more in his career. So we can't give him an imaginary 20 touchdowns. And we can't play this imagination game where Tim Kelly wasn't here last year. Tim Kelly had some degree of fingerprints on what happened last year. Now, Vrabel emphasized his role was, uh, you know, really to look ahead at defenses and give Downing and Vrabel a picture of what the Titans offense would be facing coming up. And also um, it, it had a role in, in kind of uh, game planning first and second down passing. Well, the trouble is the Titans didn't pass on first and second down, right? They um, attempted and completed the fourth fewest first and second down passes in the NFL last year when the Titans were within 14 points. So I took out, you know, when they were chasing hard or winning big. We know winning big was was a, a rarity. So they averaged um, eleven completions for uh, eleven completions in seventeen attempts for 124 yards a game. Eleven of their I think 15 passing touchdowns came on uh, first or second down, so that's good. But um, seven of their eleven interceptions came on first or second down, so that's bad. So there's a little context to what Tim Kelly was involved in primarily last year. Um, Rabel never got a, a straight question about who he talked to or how many people he talked to. He didn't get that question because he wouldn't answer it. But in his opening uh, statement, he said, I spent a lot of time going through multiple candidates at each position. Now, multiple could be two right? Multiple could be 10. I don't think it's 10. Could be two. Um, 
somebody tweeted me, is there a full interview uh, full interview list yet? That's very fun. Yeah, the Titans put out a full interview list while Vrabel works hard as he can to keep everything secret. So we know they asked for permission to talk to Jason Outen um, from the Broncos, who called plays for the last couple of games. So the Broncos had good results, um, though that wasn't necessarily for offensive coordinator. We know they put in permission for Eric Bieniemy um, and for Matt Nagy of the Chiefs, um, Charles London, who they hired as passing game corner slash quarterbacks coach, and that they talked to Tim Kelly. Um, presumably they talked to London, uh, right? Um, we don't know about Nagy. And uh, Bieniemy made it clear at the Super Bowl that he didn't talk to anybody about an offensive coordinator position. He interviewed for one head coaching job. So Vrabel could have talked to a number of other people um, without it getting out. He didn't have to ask permission for everybody. There are guys whose contracts were up whose agents could have conceivably kept it quiet and reporters not found out about it. But I think this list was pretty small and uh, no, that, that there's not going to be a full list uh, revealed or announced. A um, couple guys on the staff with new jobs, Luke Steckel, who was a tight end coach, Pat O'Hara, who was the quarterback coach, are now analysts, Steckel run game analyst, O'Hara pass game analysts. Frable kind of said not having a position group is going to allow them to do some of that pre-advanced work and uh, also help and assist through the offense. I want them to be able to help in multiple ways. Sounds like a demotion. Uh, look, and, and these are broader uh, jobs that will look at things from a higher level. But most coaches I know want to be more hands-on with guys, more influential with guys. And these two coaches aren't going to have a, a meeting room with players. They may touch more players, uh, but do so less often. Um, and so these jobs don't seem like promotions. Um, we'll see how those positions develop. Uh, Steckel interviewed for the Chargers uh, offensive coordinator job. I don't think he's in the, the class of a Kellen Moore who got that job, and I don't think the Titans feel the same way about him that the Chargers uh, may have. I know he wasn't the first choice for the tight ends job when he got it in 2021. I think he works his tail off. He's dedicated a lot for the Titans, and we'll see how he uh, grows in this new role. Tony Dews, the running back coach, who I think has done very good work, now gets tight ends and he touches. I, I think tight ends is a broader position, right? He touches on the run game and the pass game by dealing with tight ends. That's a growth position to me. Vrabel kind of said as much. It diversifies him. He called it a growth opportunity. Um, Jason Hotailing. Uh, Vrabel says one of the best interviews that he's had in five years. I'm told hardworking, great guy who commands the respect of the room, um, strong connection with the players, worked in multiple schemes. Um, still, and, and that's great. And I'm excited for him and excited to, to get to know him a little bit and learn about him and watch him coach. Still a Keith Carter disciple to some degree. And so he might be wildly different than the guy he worked under. But 
you're firing a guy and hiring somebody that worked under him. That seems a little bit awkward. I doubt the Titans are going to move away from their heavy reliance on zone blocking up front. But just a thought. And that's that's the scheme that, that Derrick Henry's operated out of, right, and had all of the success out of. But Titans are turning over three positions probably on that offensive line, maybe four. If you ever were going to change to a, a gap scheme, well, bringing in all these new guys now would would be the time to do it. Again, I don't think they're doing that. I think they're very married to the scheme that they use and, and should be. It suits them. Uh, two things to wrap up. Officiating. The NFL doesn't care that officiating is a storyline a lot of the time. The fiasco out of the Kansas City Cincinnati game with the uh, you know stop on third down, the play was waved off. Uh, Cincinnati had to defend it again. Kansas City converted it. All of that. NFL doesn't really care that that becomes a big storyline. They don't because if they did, they'd do more to try to fix it. They'd create a stronger eye in the sky that could stop stuff like that in progress and all of that. I've come to terms with that a long time ago. I think people should come to terms with that. But when Roger Goodell at his press conference at the Super Bowl says, I don't think officiating's ever been better. That's just asinine nonsense. And he's insulting every one of us that watches or appreciates the game. He just can't say that. He can't say that. It has been better. And it's never been worse. And we all know it. So just don't say that. It's it's a brutal, brutal thing to hear. It gets everybody's attention. And now you've made officiating the story without any bad officiating right now for us to reflect on. And God forbid something bad happens in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Everybody's going to be talking about that quote again. It's just a stupid thing to say. I like the Eagles in the Super Bowl. I think their pass rush will affect Mahomes. I know he's good at dodging stuff. I think his ankle will become an issue at some point. I know he's a Superman in terms of rehabilitation. And I know, uh, you know, he made plays against Cincinnati when he had to. One big play at the end where he took off and ran, even though it was bothering him. He's had two weeks to recover now. The Eagles pass rush is insane. A.J. Brown's going to make plays. Jalen Hurts is going to make plays. I think the Eagles are just better. I also live with a woman who was born in suburban Philadelphia and who somehow has raised our 13-year-old to be Eagles fan. He's got big Eagle stickers on his bedroom wall and stuff. And so I'm just better off if the Eagles win. So I'm all NFC in this one. Hey, I appreciate you uh, listening to the podcast. I urge you to check out paulkuharski.com. You got to go read Mike Herndon's piece um, about the the offensive line, free agency market. Read all the stuff I've written this week about the the new staff. Spread the word. Um, And as you go forward here, I urge you, don't block the box, but be sure, please, please, to lock your locks.